What did Chaucer's poetry sound like? If you look on YouTube, you can find various clips of people reading out Chaucer's poetry in the original Middle English pronunciation. In amongst the various comments added below, many of them frankly unrepeatable, is one that caught my eye. This is a dead language that has never been heard by anyone. The simple fact is that no one knows how to pronounce it. I've got some sympathy with this view. After all, there are no recordings that survive from Chaucer's time. So how do we know what his poetry would have sounded like? The purpose of this short talk is to introduce you to the kinds of evidence available for studying the history of English pronunciation and what this evidence can tell us about how and why the language has changed. My name is Simon Horobin and I specialise in the historical study of the English language. This is a topic that you can study in much greater detail on the MST at English Language at Oxford University. So where do we start? Well, the most obvious and direct evidence for the way to pronounce Chaucer's words is their spelling. English is written using what's called a phonographic writing system. That's one in which letters map on to speech sounds. Let's take the word dog as an example. It's made up of three sounds, what are technically called phonemes, and each of these phonemes is represented by a single letter, or grapheme. The relationship between graphemes and phonemes is arbitrary, in the sense that there's nothing specifically about the letter D that connects it to the sound D. So it could just as easily represent the sound K. And similarly, the letter O could represent the sound A, and the letter G the sound T, such that the word that we spell D-O-G would be pronounced cat. But while these correspondences between letters and sounds are essentially arbitrary, they weren't devised by Chaucer, of course. Nor were they invented in the Middle English period in which he wrote. That's the period in the history of English between around 1100 and 1500. They were, of course, developed centuries earlier for the writing of Latin. Although the Roman alphabet, of course, was itself a modified version of that first developed by the Greeks, Hence the term alphabet, coined from the first two letters of the Greek alphabet, alpha and beta. The Roman alphabet was first adopted for the writing of English by Anglo-Saxon scribes, who had been trained to write in Latin. In adopting the Roman alphabet for the writing of English, Anglo-Saxon scribes sensibly maintained the same correspondences established for writing Latin and these have been handed down, more or less unchanged, to present-day English. And as a result, many of the consonants used by Chaucer have the same sounds today, and so cause us very few problems when it comes to reading Chaucer out loud. But adopting the Roman alphabet to write Old English wasn't quite that straightforward, because some sounds used in English weren't found in Latin. So, for instance, English has a pair of sounds, th and the, that don't appear in Latin. As a result, a new letter was needed to represent them. To fill gaps like these, the Anglo-Saxons turned 
to the Germanic alphabet known as runes, which they were familiar with from their earlier use in Northern Europe and Scandinavia. The runic alphabet is related to the Roman alphabet, but it developed differently because it became adapted particularly for carving on stone and wood, and as a result it's made up of straight lines rather than curves. From the runic alphabet, the Anglo-Saxons borrowed the letter thorn, which is called thorn because it's made up of a straight line with a triangle sticking out, rather like a thorn on a rosebush. This letter survived right up to the 15th century, and it's often found in manuscripts containing Chaucer's works. It fell out of use in the 16th century when it began to be written using curved strokes, which led it to be confused with the letter Y, and we can still see the results of that confusion in archaistic shop signs like Ye Olde Tea Shoppy, where the Y is actually the letter Thorn, and so should be pronounced the. But while the use of consonants has changed little since Chaucer's day, this isn't the case when it comes to vowel sounds. We can get a glimpse of some of the differences between Chaucer's pronunciation of certain vowels and our own by looking at some of the rhymes that he used in his poetry. So, for instance, Chaucer rhymed town with region, good with blood, and nice with malice. The first thing to notice about this is that while the pronunciation of these words may have changed since Chaucer's day, so that they no longer rhyme, their spelling has changed comparatively little. Good and blood, nice and malice, are what we call eye rhymes rather than ear rhymes. The reason for this is that while pronunciation has changed considerably since the Middle Ages, the spelling of English has remained relatively stable. This is because we have a standard or fixed spelling system that children are taught to use and which has been codified in dictionaries and grammar books. In Chaucer's day, there was no such standard and no dictionaries, with the result that there was much greater variation in spelling from person to person and place to place. So that means that Chaucer's spelling differs considerably from that of his contemporaries, poets like John Gower, William Langland, and the author of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, even though all of these poets were writing at the same time. This situation changed in the 15th century when a standard spelling system began to be adopted. As a consequence, much of our present-day spelling system has remained unchanged since the 15th century. People who have to learn how to spell correctly today often complain about the apparent illogicality of English spelling which seems such a poor guide to pronunciation. But while English spelling may be frustrating as a guide to modern pronunciation, it's actually surprisingly helpful as a means to pronouncing Chaucer's language. For instance, let's take the pair of words good and blood, which, as we've seen, rhymed for Chaucer, but no longer do today. If we look at their spelling, we can see that they're both spelt with a double O, which was used quite logically in Chaucer's language to represent a long O sound. Today, we spell this sound generally with OA, as in boat, or with one O and then what's 
sometimes called magic e in vote. But since Chaucer's day, words that were spelt with two o's have undergone various sound changes so that their pronunciation is no longer predictable. But when we meet words with two o's in Chaucer, we can be confident in pronouncing them with a long o sound. So if we go back to our example, good and blood, rhyme because both were pronounced goad and blowed. Once we learn these correspondences, we can reconstruct Chaucer's vowel sounds with some confidence. Let's take another example. As we saw earlier, Chaucer rhymes the words town and region. Now, if we compare that with the pronunciation of blood and good, the relationship between the spelling town and its pronunciation may seem quite straightforward, suggesting that this was how Chaucer pronounced the word too. But if we look back to Old English, we find that this word was spelt with a U, T-U-N. And in fact, this is true of a number of related words. House, mouse, down, how, were all spelt with a U in Old English. And what this tells us is that these words were originally pronounced with a long oo sound, like the word goose in modern English. At some point, the pronunciation of all of these words has changed so that the long oo became a diphthong. That, that's the technical term for a combination of two sounds that we use today. Given that Chaucer spelt these words with O-W, it's tempting to assume that the change had already occurred by the time he was writing, and that he would have pronounced these words as we do. But let's go back to that rhyme evidence that we began with. The word region is a French word in origin. It was borrowed into English during Chaucer's lifetime as part of a large-scale adoption of French and Latin vocabulary. Its medieval French form was région, with stress on the second syllable. When French words like this were first borrowed into English, their native French stress pattern was retained. Only later were they assimilated to English stress patterns, with the stress on the first syllable. We can see that same process of assimilation still underway in the modern English speaker's pronunciation of the word garage. So some older speakers particularly tend to stress the second syllable, garage, in the French way, whereas younger speakers tend to have stress on the first syllable, garage. Having determined the correct pronunciation of région, it becomes clear that the word town must still have been pronounced with its Old English long oo sound, tune. And once we've reconstructed that pronunciation, then we can apply it to related words like house, mouse, down, and so on. All of these would have been pronounced with the long oo sound, hoose, moose, dune. The difference between Chaucer's pronunciation and our own was caused by a major change in the distribution of the long vowels which occurred in the 16th century, known today as the Great Vowel Shift. This shift affected Scottish accents differently, so that the Chaucerian pronunciation can still be found in Scotland. Think of the Scottish stereotype, who knew?
Another reason that people find modern English spelling so frustrating is the prevalence of silent letters. Think of the silent K and GH in the word night, for instance, or the silent G in nor, or the silent B in comb. These letters are often the primary target of spelling reformers who want to make English spelling more transparent and easier to learn. But while it may seem odd that a spelling system, which after all is intended to be a guide to pronunciation, includes letters that are not pronounced, these letters are a valuable guide to the pronunciation of Chaucer's English. That's because these letters are relics of earlier pronunciations that have since changed. Just as the changes in vowel sounds we looked at earlier, the dropping of these consonant sounds in pronunciation was not recorded in the standard spelling system. So this means that in many ways, the way we spell today is actually a more useful guide to medieval than modern pronunciation of English. Let's go back to that word spelt K-N-I-G-H-T, which we pronounce night. Those silent letters tell us that Chaucer would have pronounced the word knicht. Similarly, the word comb would have been pronounced with a final B. And, however hard it is to get your tongue round, words like nor and right would have been pronounced gnor and worit. You might be thinking, how do we know that these letters were pronounced by Chaucer and weren't just silent letters then, as they are today? After all, rhymes don't necessarily tell us whether right was pronounced with or without the initial W. There are two types of evidence that can help answer this question. One concerns a different tradition of poetic writing in the Middle English period, which was developed by the Anglo-Saxons and continued to be used throughout Chaucer's lifetime by writers like William Langland and the poet who wrote the Arthurian poem Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Instead of using rhyme, these poets used alliteration, with three or four words in each line beginning with the same initial sound. Poetry written in the alliterative metre can therefore give us insights into which initial consonants were sounded and which weren't. Another type of evidence is comparative. English is a Germanic language, which means that it's related to a group of modern languages that includes German, Dutch, Norwegian, Swedish, Danish and Icelandic. All of these languages were once a single language, what's referred to today by scholars as Proto-Germanic. No text survived written in Proto-Germanic. All we know of this language has to be deduced by a process known as comparative reconstruction. That means by comparing the earliest stages of those languages that have been recorded, so languages like Old English, Old Norse, Gothic, and then determining from those what their common original must have looked like. Because these Germanic languages are all related, we can find out more about the earlier stages of English by comparing it with Gothic, Old Norse, Old Saxon, and so on. Let's take the word knight, N-I-G-H-T. How can we be sure that the G-H was once pronounced? If we look at early stages of the other Germanic languages, then we can see that most of these have a consonant between the vowel and the final T that indicates a similar pronunciation. So Old Saxon spells the word N-A-H-T, 
Middle Dutch, N-A-C-H-T, Gothic, N-A-H-T-S. All of these imply that a Proto-Germanic form from which they are all descended also had a consonant sound before the T, just as we've suggested for Chaucer. Although we can't always rely on modern languages to preserve early pronunciations, it's noticeable how much more conservative modern German is than modern English in preserving earlier pronunciations. As we can see in the German word for night, Nacht, which retains the sound before the final T. Another group of words whose spelling preserves an earlier pronunciation are question words, like when, what, who, which. These are all spelt today with a WH at the beginning, even though they're all pronounced as if they were spelt with an initial W. The reason for this is that these words were all pronounced with an initial HW in Chaucer's English, when, what, who. This same pronunciation has that survived in modern Scottish accents. A slightly different case concerns the pronunciation of R when it appears after vowels or at the ends of words, like in car and card. Modern varieties of English differ in their treatment of this letter. It's not a feature of the English reference accent, what's called received pronunciation, but it is found in southwestern accents. It's used by Scottish, Irish, and most American speakers. These are what are called rhotic accents because they pronounce R in these positions. And the reason for this difference is that the R sound was lost in the southeastern dialect in the 16th century, which is the variety that formed the basis of RP, but it was preserved in other parts of the country. Because the Pilgrim Fathers who first settled in America were from the southwest, they took their rhotic accent with them and this resulted in this pronunciation being spread throughout much of the US. Because the eastern seaboard remained in contact with England longer than the west coast and the southern states, and continued to be influenced by its linguistic fashions, the non-rhotic pronunciation became adopted in cities like Boston, with which it's still particularly associated in phrases like I've parked the car in Harvard Yard. So what does this all tell us about how to read Chaucer? What we've learned is that spelling is a good guide to Chaucer's pronunciation, a better guide to Chaucer's pronunciation than it is to modern English pronunciation, and that we need to remember to sound all the letters, even those that are silent today. While consonant sounds have remained relatively stable, vowels have changed more radically, although often in predictable patterns, so that we need only learn that the word town was pronounced tune to be able to correctly pronounce down, mouse, house, and so on. And what does this tell us about how Chaucer sounded? Well, perhaps most surprisingly, given that later critics like John Dryden celebrated him as the well of English undefiled, Chaucer's pronunciation would have sounded to us like a mixture of various regional accents, with a bit of Scottish, Irish and French mixed in. Thank you for listening to this talk. If you want to find out more, then I hope that you'll consider applying for the MST in English Language at Oxford.